This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. It's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, some of you are friends that I've known for more than 30 years. You know, 35 years, some, which is quite a bit. And... Um, It is particularly interesting to talk about uh, Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo that have become a, an ending source of inspiration for artists uh, all over the world. Here you have uh, uh, the famous mural of Diego Rivera, uh, Dream of a Sunday Afternoon in the Alameda Park that we will discuss in, in detail, in which Diego Rivera, uh, in the middle, presents himself as a child holding hands with Frida Kahlo. And uh, interestingly, I don't think anybody that lived in the time of when Fida and Diego were alive, would imagine what has happened. It would be completely unconceivable. At the time, Diego Rivera was one of the most famous artists in the world. And Frida was the wife of Diego Rivera. And now, more and more, Diego Rivera has become the husband of Frida Kahlo. <laughs> Amazing. Diego was born the 13th of, of December of 1886. Frida is born much later, in uh, 1907. So it was almost 20 years uh, distant. And uh, they're contrasting in, in every way. Here you have a cartoon of El Chango Garcia Cabral, that shows this massive Diego and the tiny uh, Frida Kahlo. It reminds me of the comment that Frida's mother made when Frida married Diego Rivera, that she said that it was like the wedding between an elephant and a dove. <laughs> she said, un elefante y una paloma. And no matter how many people have played Frida in movies, and there's nothing like the real Frida Kahlo. Here you have her. And uh, I would say that perhaps the greatest compliment to their relationship that was, of course, troubled as any relationship is, is precisely the fact that they are so completely different as artists. It's very sad when you see the, 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 the wives of famous artists that become the pale imitations of their husbands or the, the assistants to their husbands. The fact that 
In many ways, Frida Kahlo is the opposite to Diego Rivera. While Diego paints these huge murals, Frida paints miniatures. While Diego paints about history and economy, Frida paints about her own life and her own vulnerabilities. So this difference is the sign precisely of, of real respect. Diego was born in a city called Guanajuato. If you don't know Guanajuato, you're missing out. It is the most romantic place on earth. It's got a, a, an alley that is so narrow that we call it El Callejón del Beso because it's supposedly you can kiss one person from one that is so narrow. No? And when you walk there, you must grab whatever is near you and kiss. If not, bad luck. <laughs> Here you have El Callejón del Beso. And he was born in Positos Diez. His father uh, was a, a professor and the mother a, a housewife. And something that people don't realize about Diego Rivera is that he was a twin. And any psychologist can tell you that the worst thing that can happen to a twin is to lose his twin. There is a, a certain uh, connection between them uh, that you never really recover from. So Diego lost his brother. And... Uh, that gave him a, a, a certain distance to the world. He was very warm in some things, but like to give you an example, one day they, they shot a man in front of him, and Diego's reaction was to pull his notebook and start making sketches of the... So this, this unemotional response to things, like a, a dissociate... You know, that is quite common with twins that lose their twin. And from the very beginning, he was very intelligent and very observant. And he caused his first scandal when he was only about four or five. And we know this because it was a story that is told to us by uh, the aunt. Uh, she took uh, Diego to mass. And uh, the aunt tells him, Diego, kneel and pray to the good virgin and ask her to, you know, bless your mommy and your dad. And Diego says, no, I won't do that. Why? She cannot hear me. What do you mean? She has no holes in the ears. <laughs> How many of you have noticed that the saints and the virgins and the churches have no holes in the ears? And then when he saw the priests coming out for money, he said, he's on top of a, this is a farce. There are a bunch of thieves here. And they had to take him out of the church immediately. Uh, and since then, they referred to him as the youngest atheist. Uh, in the case of Diego Rivera, there really wasn't ever any doubt about what his vocation was. He drew so much that they had to cover the, the furniture with paper because he just went at it, no? And by the time he was 10, before having received any classes, 
He was already doing drawings like, like this one. So he was admitted very early, uh, still a child, in the school of San Carlos in Mexico. Here you see uh, uh, Diego Rivera in his first stage doing very... Every time that a young artist tells me that he wants to be an artist, I say, do what Diego Rivera did, and then we can talk. No, he masters technique solidly, like Picasso, like all the great ones. And eventually, he leaves the school, and he, wants, he, he gets a scholarship to go to Europe. And he arrives in, in Spain in 1907. And in Spain, he is able to visit the great museums of El Prado. And so now he tries to recreate the masterpieces of Velázquez and Rubens and Rembrandt that he saw in the museum. And this is a period of constant evolution. He meets a, a Russian artist, Angelina Velov, and he would paint her beautifully. He would say that uh, Angelina was this incredibly beautiful and, and decent woman who had the terrible misfortune of meeting me. <laughs> With Angelina, here again you see why no matter how clear a photograph is, it will never have that emotional element of painting. He and Angelina finally decide to establish themselves in Paris, in Montparnasse. And Diego would say that whenever you feel, and I think this is true of any profession, when, whenever you feel that you are being uh, influenced by something, make love to it. Embrace it. If you think you're, you're starting to write like somebody, do it consciously. If you think you're starting to paint like some other artist, do it consciously. Because only when you try in yourself the voice of others can you separate your voice from theirs. So for here, for example, you see the first image, clearly influenced by the Dutch school, the central one by the pointillists like Seurat and Signa. Here it could be more like Turner. But you see the, the variety of influences. So instead of rejecting the influence, embracing it, assuming it, understanding it. And uh, he's also inspired by Greco and the elongation of figures. And also by the futurists that try to represent movement and to simplify the space. All of these explorations lead him to a close affinity with Pablo Picasso, because his friend, and he explores Cubism. Cubism allows Diego Rivera to analyze space, to find the geometry of a figure. And it allows him to look at something from many different perspectives. If you were to do a, a, a formal painting of the bull ring, 
you would do it more or less the same. What I showed you before, the bridge would be the same. But with the cubist, he can see the same image from above, from below, up close. In other words, it's, it's nothing is here is, is not there, but it's a much more thorough investigation of the subject. This is, according to Octavio Paz, his first masterpiece. Uh, and, and you see the interesting figuration and then a remarkable combination of red and blues that supposedly don't combine well. The cubist also allows him to find the basic essence of a face. Like, if, if you see Ramón Gómez de la Serna, he tries to simplify the forms. And then he starts applying this to other things. Here is a, a cubist work that is inspired by Mexico, the Paisaje Zapatista. After World War I, Diego has lost his, his scholarship from, from Mexico. No, he's, he's, extremely, he's extremely poor. And he uh, has a, a baby with Angelina. He would do these beautiful cubist portraits of motherhood. You first see the woman before the pregnancy, then the pregnancy, and then the mother and the baby. And notice how just with form and color, he gives you the whole connection between uh, the mother and the son. But sadly, uh, the influenza is terrible, and they're so poor they can barely heat their apartment, so their, their son dies. And Diego enters into this uh, terrible depression. Uh, one day, he goes into a modern art gallery, and then he comes out and he sees a, a cart of, of fruits, and he finds that those fruits are more, more beautiful than anything he had seen inside. And that same day, he starts to kind of reinvent himself, uh, very much following the path of Cezanne. But then he would meet uh, a man that would change his life. This would be a doctor, a guy called Elifore. And Elifore had been a doctor in the trenches of World War I. All wars are horrible, but World War I is one of the worst uh, because you have these armies stuck in barracks and holes for years, uh, suffering chemical weapons attacks, in just terrible. And uh, Elifori had seen all this, and his view of art was completely different from the critics in Paris. He tells him, an artist is the product of his time and people. Art is the appeal, the instinct of communion in which we recognize each other. And so he, he urges Diego to become the voice of life. He says, paint, paint the people. 
paint for the people. And Diego Rivera says, well, yes, that's what I've been wanting to do. But how do I do that? And he gives them an advice that would change the art of the world, the art of Mexico, certainly. But he says, go to Italy. Revisit the Renaissance. And so for the next 18 months, Diego Rivera uh, travels all over Europe, especially not, not over Europe, all over Italy. And he does hundreds of sketches of all the mural cycles of Michelangelo and Frangelico. And he learns the fresco technique. And he rescues. I mean, there hadn't been murals like this painted in 500 years. And so with that knowledge, he comes back to Mexico in the 20s, ready to reintroduce mural painting in the world. Now, the, the Mexico that Diego Rivera was returning to was, was very different. Been a revolution from 1910 to 20, uh, in which more than a million Mexicans died. But the Mexican Revolution is not just a change of government, it's not just a change of political party. It is a profound rebirth, spiritual rebirth of the country. And the new Secretary of Education, Jose Vasconcelos, believes that art and education must be intertwined. And I do believe it is so. I think one of the great problems we have in the U.S. is that that connection is non-existent. Without art, education becomes very boring. Without literature, without painting, without, uh, you know, art allows people to understand history, to understand life. You know, there must be a connection. I like to tell the story of how, I don't know how it is in San Diego, but in L.A. they just completed one of the most expensive school renovations in the world. But they didn't spend a dime in art. Not one mural, not one sculpture, all concrete. And then they wonder, no? Nothing for, for music, nothing. In other words, the, the, the culture is left to the nonprofits that are trying desperately to keep the institutions going without realizing that, that there is a, a social need for the arts. It cannot be, uh, it's not optional. It should be part of the system. And so Vasconcelos understands this. And so he commissions all these artists that then were young and unknown to paint these murals in the libraries, in the offices, in the hospitals, in the schools, everywhere. Among those, Diego Rivera. This is uh, the high school where Frida Kahlo studied. So it's all full of murals. Sculptures, this idea... You know, that, uh, that we have to support the opera. We have to support the, the, the symphony. We have to bring young people to see these things. 
And Diego Rivera is painting this mural in the auditorium of the high school where Frida is a student, and that's where she first sees him. Frida Kahlo was born in the same place where she would die, uh, that is now a museum for her, the Blue House in Coyoacán. Uh, she is the daughter of a, of a father that is Jewish, German-Hungarian Jew, and a mother that is indigenous mestiza. No? And it is something she would be very much aware of. She would paint it several times, her genealogical tree. She has only sisters. And the mother is extremely religious, extremely Catholic. She takes Frida to mass every day. And though, as an adult, Frida would certainly reject any form of religion. She was a communist. But the religious education surfaces in her work, we, we will see, as we will see. And then another element that is very important in her life is sickness. When she's seven or eight years old, she starts having this pain in her leg. And they diagnose it as polio. So she has to stay without movement for almost a year. And then uh, it's a mild version of polio, so she can recover. But she has a leg that is much thinner than the other. And so she, the father encourages to walk with her. Father is a photographer who has a microscope. And so they go around and they collect these little things, little objects that then they watch in the microscope. A lot of people look at Frida's work and they think, oh, it's fantastic. It's a dream. It's not a dream. It's a magnified image. If you look at, at the details of painting every vein of a leaf or the, the spider web, these are images that she had seen through a microscope as a girl that impressed her enormously. But at the time when, when they first met, and Frida was only a student, Diego was married to Lupe Marin, with whom he had two daughters. Lupe Marin uh, inspires this beautiful chapel of Chapingo. Uh, really remarkable. It's an agricultural school in Mexico. And he presents like the pregnant earth that is posed by Lupe. And then the different uh, stages of the development of the earth and the liberation of the farm workers. But the murals that Diego d does are so perfect that they almost look three-dimensional, as you can see in the ceilings. Diego is also invited in the National Palace of Mexico to paint the whole history of Mexico in a wall. So it's a stair that you walk by it. And it begins with the Aztec society and the figure of Quetzalcoatl. You see the, the, this bearded prophet 
that goes uh, and leaves the path of crosses. And when Cortés arrives, Moctezuma doesn't know if he's Quetzalcoatl that is returning. And so then in the middle, you see the, the, the struggle, the conquest, and, uh, and then the different uh, revolutions outside. And then at the end, you see a, a, an image of Mexico of today and tomorrow. So Diego would also uh, paint uh, a mural in the Ministry of Education. He would do these two huge patios, one with all the feasts of Mexico and, and the other with all the uh, regions of Mexico. And you see the, the workers, you see the rural teacher. When Vice President Harris went to Mexico, they showed her this mural, and she was amazed. Uh, Frida had a terrible accident when she was, when she was uh, a teenager. And she was riding on a, on a bus that was probably similar to this one she painted. And then at some point, the bus was struck by a trolley. And so a, a metal rod in the bus pierced her from the back coming out. And in the process, breaking several vertebras, her, the whole center of her body. And uh, she was so wounded that they brought her back and she had to stay without moving. And sadly, it is in this moment, in this dramatic moment, where she becomes an artist. And it's not... It's a very different motivation from most artists. It's not that she wanted to become famous or that she wanted to uh, prove an aesthetic point. It was a more immediate need of communication. When she reaches out to the boyfriend, Alejandro Gomez Edison, she sends him one of these first self-portraits. And she, she talks about the painting as if, if the painting were a prolongation of herself. She says, put it where it can see you, she says. So, after she recovered from the accident, Frida had done several paintings and had had a, a, a connection with Diego because she had seen him painting the mural in her school. So, she brings her, her paintings and she tells Diego to give her an opinion and says, I don't want you to just give me a compliment, I want you to... And Diego looks at them and, and he says that the paintings had a, a fundamental honesty about them. And so he starts visiting her. And uh, eventually one thing uh, leads to another. And they would marry the 21st of August of 1929. So Frida goes from this childhood that is difficult, the traumatic accident, to world fame. It's almost like connected because Diego was already world famous. And she immediately is drawn to this whole world of art and politics where everything uh, converges. 
they travel to California, first in, in San Francisco, then in Detroit, where Diego is doing these murals. If you ever have a chance to go to Detroit, do not miss the murals that Diego Rivera does in Detroit. Because it's like uh, an extraordinary celebration of industry. Most of the time, people criticize the machine. You know, they, there is this kind of uh, rejection of technology. But what Diego Rivera sees is the hope that is in the machine, the, the possibilities that it unleashes for people. And he would spend endless hours going to all the, the workshops and painting these masterpieces. Uh, and he would say that the greatest compliment in his career was when all the engineers and the workers came to see the murals and they could not find a single mistake in them. But notice the, the perfect use of perspective. And you know, the central fire. I, I've lit, lectured in that, in that museum. It's truly extraordinary. Then, uh, this is, for example, the making of a car. And every part of the... We could teach a course on that, where you see all the different parts of the machinery, uh, the assemblage, and then something I like. Most of the time, when you look at a magazine, you see the big car, no? But you don't know anything about those people that work to make that car possible. Here, very much at the end is the car. But in the front is the enormous effort and creativity that it takes to do a car. And Exactly in the most opposite direction, Frida was doing these tiny paintings, like this one. And she was pregnant, but probably because of the way that her pelvis had broken in the accident, she could never carry a baby to term. So she miscarriages, and she would paint about this in this work. Uh, where she puts herself in a, in a bed in, in this puddle of blood, and then she starts using these different symbols that express what she's feeling. And then she would continue to use painting in the same way that when she was a girl and, and she looked at the microscope and she explored. Now she, she tries to understand what happened to her. Right? Studying anatomy... After uh, Detroit, the couple goes to New York, where Diego Rivera would create one of the greatest scandals of art in the 20th century. He would be hired by Rockefeller to do a mural, Man at the Crossroads. Uh, but the mural was destroyed because Diego Rivera included in one of the portraits the image of Vladimir Lenin. This is the mural 
Uh, I dream of one day being able to go to Rockefeller Center and project it where it should be. So if any of you have connections, please. Uh, it is a masterpiece. You know, you have these, this worker and you have these two ellipses. Uh, this is everything that you can see through the microscope. And then this one is everything you can see through the telescope. And then you have uh, the wealthy, the poor with Lenin. And then you have the industrial products above and the agricultural products uh, below. Frida would do this work called My Dress Hangs There. They returned to, to Mexico, and uh, Diego Rivera has an affair with Frida's sister that is like a double betrayal for, for Frida. And she would do this work uh, called Unos Cuantos Piquetitos, A Few Small Nips. And it's about uh, a tabloid story about this man that stabs his lover 30 times, and when they arrested me, and they ask him, why did you do that? He said, oh, I only gave her a few small nips, unos cuantos piquetitos. But notice how the, the blood seems to come out of the painting and spills through the frame, you know, as if the image were something ethereal. She would also do this work uh, where she presents this heart perfectly drawn anatomically, and then the dress of a schoolgirl with which Diego had met her, and the tewana that he... Now, uh, Diego told her, you know, well, monogamy is a bourgeois thing. And so Frida says, okay, well, if monogamy is a bourgeois thing for you, it is also a bourgeois thing for me. And so she also had uh, lovers. Uh, here you see her with Nicholas Morai, and perhaps the most famous the Russian revolutionary Leon Trotsky. Trotsky is the great, uh, he's the creator of the Red Army and the great rival of, of Stalin. And so when Stalin consolidates power in the Soviet Union, uh, Trotsky is persecuted and through the intervention of Diego Rivera, he's granted asylum in Mexico. So here you see Frida with Trotsky. And this is a painting that uh, Frida would dedicate to Trotsky. Now, the fact that Trotsky was in their house and attracted a whole group of intellectuals like French surrealist André Breton. And eventually, Trotsky was killed by a, a, a Stalinist agent. But the connection that Frida Kahlo made with the surrealists continued. And Breton is particularly impressed by this work that is a painting of Frida in the bathtub. And you can see her feet, and then you see the water, 
And there is all these reflections in the water of her, her ideas. You know, you see the, uh, what, what she is experiencing, like this image of, uh, of a, the, the little dancer, which when the accident, she was apparently covered by golden dust that some painter had, and people looked at her covered with blood and said, la bailarina, la bailarina, the little dancer. And, and then this idea of Frida's parents watching her with another woman that she would paint in several occasions. Frida also had uh, women lovers. Here you have a, a video. Now you thought you were going <laughs> to... And through the connection with the Surrealists, Frida would have exhibits in, in New York in the Julian Levy Gallery, and also in Paris. This painting was acquired by the Louvre, and uh, Marcel Duchamp, Duchamp, the main conceptual artist, all these guys that come around saying they're doing installations and they're, very, they're basically ripping up Duchamp that was created 80 years ago. And they have the nerve to say they're contemporary. Uh, she also met uh, Pablo Picasso, who gave her the famous earrings in the form of hands that she would use and, and paint herself. She was a, a sensation. Uh, she even got the cover of a Vogue uh, magazine. And yet when she returned, Diego asked her for a, for a divorce. Apparently he had learned about Trotsky. And normally Frida, in the worst moments, creates her most important work. So in this occasion she would do uh, the two Fridas, which presents the Frida that Diego loved and the Frida Diego no longer loved. One holding a tiny portrait of Diego Rivera. She would also do this work that has a legend, look, if I loved you, it was because of your hair. Now that you don't have any hair, I don't love you anymore. Now this kind of virilized image of Frida is not an invention. It's also part of her personality, as you can see by these early photographs, in which Frida already presents herself in a masculine way. So you see, most of Frida's paintings are very small, with the exception of the two Fridas, and this one, that is the lost Frida Kahlo painting. Uh, this painting was last seen in Poland more than 80 years ago. So if you ever get a cross, <laughs> give me a ring. <laughs> the divorce between Frida and Diego did not last too long. Diego had a, a doctor that gave him a certificate in which he was declared medically incapable of fidelity. 
because of glandular reasons. <laughs> and so uh, they remarry. And uh, in spite of their, their mutual infidelities, uh, there is a reality to their marriage that cannot be denied. And you can see it in, in the letters they exchange. These notes of Frida to Diego, or this one of Diego to Frida. Uh, or in the painting, sometimes Frida paints their figures as one. And in others, Diego becomes the, the baby that Frida could never have. And Diego, in turn, is very generous with Frida. He's wise, he guides her, he helps her. How can you tell a good husband from a bad husband? The good husband is the one that actually helps the other become no, not to subordinate. And Diego always is thinking of how to promote Frida. And he even says that she is the better uh, painter. And that he alone, you know, he's, he's, he's connecting her to collectors, to possibilities. Frida keeps a, a diary in her life. And though she's connected to the Surrealist movement, she also has differences with them. You look at a painting like this and you would say, if that's not Surrealist, what is Surrealist? But in fact, Frida really did have a skeleton. <laughs> a t- Here you see the the diary that Frida did. And it is a surrealist document in the sense that the idea of surrealism is to express your real desires. The surrealists believe that there is nothing worse than unacted desires, that you must follow your desires wherever they take you. And that you have to, and, and to, to reveal yourself You can do exercises like automatic writing. You can try it when you get home. Just get a white piece of paper and you write all the words that come without thinking. You'll be surprised what comes out. Or uh, following ink accidents. And and this this diary is so beautiful and and so revealing in, in a completely different way. You know, when it, when it was first published, people were expected, you know, the, the dirty kind of crap that we are used to, you know? And this is, reveals so much more. Here you see some beautiful photographs of Frida. And uh, soon, I'm going to... I was recently in Oaxaca, and I was telling this lady that Frida is one of the most admired women in... People like to dress like her, but something they have not figured out is the combing of the hair. That that we should find a way to simplify it so people can put flowers in in their hair. Remember the hippie song in the, if you're going to San Francisco, no? Uh, And she was teaching me how to do it. So uh, maybe 
soon I will be able to, to present how, how this can be done. But I guess what women are most attracted in Frida's wardrobe is that, frankly, let's face it, uh, most fashion is made by men who hate women. And if you look at the models that they propose, you have to be in a concentration camp to look like that. <laughs> you know, they basically want a prepubescent woman out there. It's terrible, no? And so Frida sends all these designers to hell. She designs, she could not wear a skirt like the others because she had a, a, a leg that was shorter and, than the other. So she had to come up with something that helped her. So she creates her own fashion. And then uh, she has a slight mustache. People say, oh, but Frida, in Spanish you say, mujer con bozo, culo sabroso. <laughs> you know, the, 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 like an attractive... Uh, and so she leaves her, her mustache. Uh, also, they, if you had... Remember those tiny, very thin... Uh, eyebrows, you know, that then you get all blinded by the sun. Frida has these thick ones, and she, she allows that. And her wardrobe is so beautiful. Now they're doing exhibits of it, but it's done with intelligence. Uh, for 50 years, her closet was inaccessible. But now they finally got in permission to open it and to see the exquisite combination of Mexican clothes, of jewelry, but also Chinese and even rebosos, French, tehuanas, really uh, remarkable. And how these dresses also become part of the, the life. Uh, the same is true about her decorations. She collects popular Mexican art, and decorates her whole house with these. And the dishes. Uh, Diego's daughter has published a whole memoir of Frida's recipes. So I guess what, what is interesting to observe is that Frida Kahlo is an artist not only when she paints, but also when she faces a mirror and she's composing herself as a, three, as a, as a three-dimensional person when she's putting jewelry and she's, or, or when she's decorating a, a house or she's selecting and, and, and doing a garden. Her whole life is a work of art. And then she sometimes takes uh, this type of, of still lives. In Mexico, we call them bodegones, that tend to be conventional art, boring art, if you want. The one you put in the kitchens in the, you know, you know where you have the, the living room. You know, the, and uh, they normally have flowers and fruits. Uh, but in the hands of Frida, this becomes... This is a, a, an image that was given to a first lady of Mexico that was horrified because the central uh, fruit looked like a vagina, no? And she returned it. Now the grandkids must be cursing her. Can you imagine? 
or she does works like this where you see the, 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 the little girl, the, the, the bride that is surprised to see life open. And she represents life with all these watermelons. Or they acquire like phallic forms. Or this could be a uterus. Or it could be a penis. I don't know. It's multiple interpretations. Or the, the, the fruits could be bleeding. So there's always a, or, or dying. You know? Everything is energetic and interesting. Now, Diego himself uh, does a mural where he criticizes the corrupt, uh, powerful in Mexico that are stealing the fruit of Miss Mexico. And so he stops getting commissions for a while, but then he develops these magnificent recreations of popular people. To such an extent that you go to Mexico and you see in markets recreations of works that could be paintings by Diego, but that are now part of the, of the language of the nation. I don't know of any artist that has done that. Yes, there's people that copy the David or copy, uh, you know, Pieta, but they know it's Michelangelo's. But here, people actually recreate works that are Diego's as if they were their own. This is the last mural Diego would paint in, in the U.S. It was recently moved to a new location. And he, he tries this Pan-Americanism. It tries to attract the best of the North and the South. Then he would do in Mexico a museum, but it's not a museum for him, but a museum for his uh, pre-Hispanic art, the Anahuacali. He would also try to paint underwater, and he would do all these microorganisms. But when the water came, it erased the mural. And finally, he would paint against the sun, and these murals with mosaic are still very much alive and vibrant. This is a mural where you see the figure of Cantinflas, like a modern Robin Hood, taking money from the wealthy and giving it to the poor. Frida uh, surrounds herself with animals, she even has a little deer, Granizo, that she would paint herself as him, a wounded deer. And what is truly remarkable is that she would lead all this life in lovers and in, in a situation of constant pain. Frida had more than 30 surgeries in her back, so she could have been a victim all her life. But she refuses to accept that role and keeps painting in spite of the pain, in spite of having to wear uh, corsets uh, to keep her back up. And the sorrow, she expresses it in her art. Uh, in works like 
the broken column, or this one where they try to fuse her back with metal, but the wound uh, is infected, and yet she holds this little banner that says, Tree of Hope, Stay Firm. But she comes back to Mexico and almost immediately is interned again in the hospital. And by the time she does this work, she would write in the back, there is no more hope left for me. Then she develops gangrene, and they have to amputate the leg. This is the only time that Frida would paint herself as an artist, only that her palette is her own heart. And in her diary, she would write, Feet, what do I need you for if I have wings to fly? And she had never had an individual exhibit in Mexico, so her friends organized this exhibit. And Frida was brought in a stretcher and placed in the middle. You can imagine how somber a scene like that might be with a but yet Frida's personality was so intense and so dramatic that she was able to uh, drive the crowd to an ecstasy. Can you imagine? Telling jokes. And once they asked her, Frida, why, why do you drink so much? And she said, look, I drink to drown my sorrows, but the damn things have learned to swim. At the end, uh, you know, they give her all these drugs like Demerol to try to ease the pain. So she loses some of the precision of the earlier works, but still the, the color is equally, equally strong. Then in 1954, uh, Guatemala, under the government of President Jacobo Arbenz, tries to do an agrarian reform but Guatemala was a country basically dominated by the United Fruit Company that paid little or no taxes, uh, basically owned the land, and was not about to, to do anything to change this thing. And, and it had uh, the Dulles brothers as stockholders who were the head of the CIA and the State Department. So as a result... Uh, the U.S. promotes a coup against President Arvins, installing a, a long chain of military dictatorships through Latin America in the 50s uh, through the 80s and 90s. But here you see the, uh, the first modern coup. Frida was absolutely furious. And even though she had been amputated, she insisted that they would take her on this March with uh, a flag, uh, Por la Paz, for peace. Sadly, this would be the, the last time that she would be seen alive. She would die four days later. She was 47 years old. Diego Rivera became an old man almost overnight. And he himself was diagnosed with cancer after. Uh, the last works he did in the house of Lolo Olmedo, 
are these sunsets in Acapulco. He would die in 1957. And this mural that we, with which we began the, the lecture uh, shows you at the center the image of Diego Rivera as a child holding hands with the figure of La Catrina, of death, and behind Frida Kahlo. And it is a painting that brings all the history of Mexico together, from the little pickpocket to Marcela Violante. That is, that is uh, a scene that I love so much, uh, because the Inquisition persecuted uh, Jewish people in Mexico, and Marcela was one of those most beautiful women, and so they uh, wanted to, to destroy her and torture her and, 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 and burned her so there was nothing remained of her. And, and Diego Rivera uh, brings her back to life in his work. And then he would do a, a, a mural in, in the section where he would say that God does not exist, that he had to eventually modify. But you see, all the history of Mexico comes together in this, in this mural, the past and the future. So I think that this opera that you're going to see is probably inspired by this dream. I, I haven't seen the opera. But I do believe that Diego's last thoughts were for Frida. Not only because of this drawing he does. My friend Rina Lasso, when it was an anniversary of Frida's death, uh, asked, Maestro, could you do a drawing of Frida for the invitation? And Diego was hesitant. He says, how could I do a drawing when Frida has done so many and wonderful self-portraits? But after a lot of insistence, he did this beautiful piece. But then, interestingly, the, the last work that, uh, that Diego did, like Frida, is of watermelons. To your left is Frida's last work with the beautiful inscription, Viva la Vida. And to your right is... Diego Rivera's watermelons, both filled with the seeds of a new life. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.